All right. Okay, so what I want to do before we start, just because I'm a jokester to a fault, <laughs> is I just, Clint's over there right now, I just want to go over to the wall, everybody, and just start banging on the wall and just scream just for a few seconds. Can we do that? Yeah, let's just do it. No, hold on, all at the same time. There we go. Scream, scream. All right, thank you. Now get to your seat like nothing happened. Like, we don't know what happened. Hey, Clint. <laughs> I'm locked out. Okay. All right. He called me a child. Okay. All right. Okay. So my topic today is uh, making friends with sinners. And so the reason I wanted you all to do that is it's Clint's a dirty sinner. And I wanted to let him know that I was thinking about him. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but for real, there, you know, there's, a, there's a way to go about things that can help your cause as you reach out to people. And so I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to hop into uh, the lesson. So, Father God, Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come down here, God, since uh, 2020, with COVID and just this variant and that variant and outbreaks and whatever, God. It's just so, I feel like these things are always kind of like, is this happening? Are we doing this? Um, or whatever. So anytime we can get together in, in unity to worship together, to learn, to encourage, to challenge, God, I'm just super, super grateful. God, I pray that all of the lessons, whether they've happened or going to happen, God, whether they're on stage or off stage, God, that we can leave here looking more like Jesus, more determined to live for him and a life of obedience and surrender, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this theme, of all places in the Bible, for me, is like super scary. Right? Because you can read all this stuff and you can hear these doctrines like once saved, always saved, and all this stuff. And then you get to a verse like this, and it's like, if you're not bearing fruit, you will be cut off. And I'm like, oh, snap. Like, this means something, right? And this is like the scary thing. Like, one of my biggest fears is that, like, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to think I'm doing everything good, and for some reason I was off, or I wasn't really surrendered, or I didn't see myself clearly, and I'm going to get there, and they're going to be like, uh, get away from me, I never knew you, you wicked and lazy servant, or something like that, and I'm going to be like, oh, man, right? So these are lessons, and when it's talking about being connected to Jesus and, and living a life of obedience and surrender, things that we need to really open up our ears, but also, like, soften up our hearts and really listen to, because it's so easy to be like, yeah, that's everyone else, but really, it's you. And so in any lesson that you go into, any conversation about the Bible, we need to have open ears and soft and open hearts to receive a God's message. So even if I stumble and I fumble through this whole lesson, when I'm reading the Bible, you really need to have those open ears and open hearts to it. And so um, one of the things about this verse about being connected to the vine, right? Obviously there's a connection to Christ, but when you're connected to the vine, you're connected to each other. And that vine is meant to grow. Because Christianity was never just a for me thing, it was meant to be shared. In fact, in Paul, in Philippians 1, 20 through 24, I eagerly expect and hope 
that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. He's saying, hey, I want to live. I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to proclaim it. Help me to be bold. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he's saying, hey, like, hey, I want to go up with Jesus, but there's a reason that I'm staying. And if Christianity was for a for me type of thing, when you get put into the water, Jesus, you might as well just get beamed up into heaven. But he's saying, hey, you're left here for a reason. You're left here to reach out. You're left here to share the faith. You are that happy customer, that word of mouth representative that is to tell the world the good news about Jesus and what he did in your life. And so there's a reason you don't get beamed up. We're here to carry on what Christ started. You see, Christ chose to come down from this perfect place down to heaven or down to earth to be able to look his disciples in the eyes, to be able to put his hand on someone's shoulder, to be able to say, hey, you know what? I know your life has been here. Woman at the well, I know you don't, you've had five husbands, but there's a place where you can worship to impart hope on people, to get down and dirty with the people that the society said, you know what? You're no good. You're just a drunk. You're just a hoe. You're just whatever. You're, the, you're not good enough to be in the church. And Jesus came down to look those people in the eyes. You see, the religious people at the time were all about appearances. When they would go into the markets, they would have these big prayer boxes, and they would put ash on their face, with faith, which symbolized like a, being somber and like being in like a, a, a mode of mourning and this um, look-at-me mentality. They were about traditions. But Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And we need to look at that. You see, tax collectors back in the day pretty much kind of robbed people, but legally. They would set these prices. They would go and collect taxes for, for Caesar. And then they could say, you know what? And here's my cut. And then they would take whatever they wanted. And they could charge whatever prices they wanted. And they looked and people looked at them like, oh, you dirty tax collectors. You're robbers. I won't have anything to do with you. And those are the people that Jesus ate with. The people that he invited into the party. The sinners. Jesus knew. In Mark 2, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And in Luke 19.10, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. He wasn't just a God that's up in heaven, hovering above and, and, and having these decrees and imparting this stuff. He came down to live that example. Four of the most significant words I've ever read, not in the Bible, and I read this pretty quick after I became a Christian. Uh, there's a book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. And the first four words of that book is, it's not about you. And when you think about that sentence, it is not about you. It boils down to motive. It boils down to what is your motive for living? Is it to please yourself? Is it your comfort? Is it your security? Is it your will? Is it your dreams and your desires? Or is it about what God wants? Is it about his will? You see, Jesus, when he was in the garden before he got arrested, he knew what kind of pain was going to come on the cross. 
how much he was going to get beaten and whipped and, and humiliated. But on top of that, he knew that there was going to be a spiritual separation between him and God. And it was a pain that he did not want to think about and he did not want to, uh, he did not want to bear that. But he prayed and he said, you know what, God? Hey, let's not just let this be my will, but let it be yours. He knew there was a bigger picture. In a life for Christ, and a life in God, it's hard work. If you have the right motive, you're going to stick with it, and you're going to be there with God. If you have the wrong motive, you're going to, I hear so many times people say, I'm burning out. So let me walk through this, right? Jesus was despised and rejected, falsely accused and crucified. He was abandoned and betrayed. He was singled out and persecuted. All of that happened to a man who was perfect. Like perfect, perfect. What do you think is going to happen to us? And so as we go into this and we talk about being connected and we talked about being part of the vine, I want you guys to examine what your motive is for following Jesus. You see, on the last days, right, Jesus gets arrested. He's got 12 dudes, his 12 bros. One of them betrays him. Right? One of them sticks by his side and 10 of them abandon him. Up until that moment, there was a, a motive skew. They would even fight about who was going to be at the right hand of the Father. And when he died, it changed the ten of them. One of them never came back. What I want you guys to know is that when it gets hard, if your motive is right, when you get singled out, when you get persecuted, when you feel abandoned, when you feel rejected, you stick with it and you stay in the fight. Because making friends with sinners... And I say that just because that's what we all are, but making friends with sinners, the lost people, it's hard work. And you're going to feel rejected. You're going to feel despised. You're going to feel abandoned. And I'm going to share some stories throughout this. At times, I've just felt lower than low. Like I could not get through it. So I need you all to examine your motive. If you're about you, about how you look, how you feel, when you betrayed, you're going you're gonna to abandon. But if you're about like Jesus, saying, you know what, not your, my will, but yours, you're going to stick with it. And what does this tell us? More people are going to bail than stay. If 10 of the 12 abandoned, or abandoned and ran off and one betrayed, in this business of Christianity, more people are going to leave you than stick around. And I've been doing this for now almost 17 years. And I can tell you, it hurts. You're going to have people that you think are your best friends, people that walk down the aisle with you in your wedding, people that become aunts and uncles to your kids, and they're going to leave, and it's hard work, and I need you all to have your hearts in the right place and your motive pure. Does that make sense? Okay. So wrong motive leads you to believe that the branch supports the root when it's the other way around. The root, Christ, supports us. And we need to get that straight. So how to make friends with sinners. I've got seven tips for you. And I say tips because this. No matter how hard you try, even if you do it everything right, some people just aren't going to want it. I can't tell you how many times I've been ghosted. And people just, I would text and text and text and call and call and call, and they just don't respond. 
How many times I've sat there and I've been got into the Bible studying and I've seen this not just with me but with other people. You study the Bible, you study seeking God and you're like, oh, that went great. This person is doing this and that. And then you study the Word of God with someone and you're like, you know what? They're reading every day. They're doing this and they're, they're getting into that. And then you study sin and it's like, yeah, like they confess this and they're there and they're like wanting to repent and do all this stuff and it's good. And then you get to the end of the discipleship study and you talk about counting the cost, what it really means to, to be a disciple and that person just vanishes like a ninja. Poof, and they're gone. And you never hear from them again. That's how it happens. Like, not all the time, but a lot of the times that, that, that's how it can happen. So you can do everything right. You know, in Mark 6, and we're going to be out of Mark 6 a lot today, the feeding of the 5,000. But right before that, Jesus sends them out two by two, and he tells them this. Where, wherever you go into a house, stay there until you leave that town. Any place that does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, Shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them. He's saying, hey, if they don't receive the message, dust your shoulders off. Dust your sandals off and move on. The door's kind of weird. Okay. Hey, will you kind of kick the little thing down? Just, there we go. Perfect. He's saying that even if you do everything right, this is going to happen with Jesus, it happens with his disciples, it happens with the apostles. Even if you do everything right, people are going to reject Jesus and they're going to leave and they're not going to want it. So right after this, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He did everything right. He did everything that we talked about in this list right here. But yet on his last days, why weren't there 5,000 people following him? At least 5,000 people. Right? That's the most I've read is, Mackie, correct me if I'm wrong, anywhere if they had like pretty loyal following, 150-ish people, right? That's way less than 5,000. And Jesus was doing everything right. And so for us, we need to know that these tips can help get us there, but at some point, some people just aren't going to want it. So the seven tips, the seven things that you can do to make friends with strangers. Okay? One. Tip number one. I must be spiritually connected. I must be spiritually connected. It starts with your personal connection. Are you connected with the vine? Are you connected with other people? In Mark 6.30, it says, The apostles, and this is out of the Amplified Version I'm reading out of, the apostles who had been sent out on a mission gathered together with Jesus and told them everything they had done and taught. So they get sent out two by two, and then they come back together. They're connected with each other, and they're connected with Christ. So when you look at your life, how connected are you with Christ? How connected are you with Christ? Do you read? Do you pray? Do you go to church? Do you go to guy time? Do you go to girl time? And what do you do when you're there? Do you show up because you have to? Are you actively seeking out encouragement and correction and being discipled? When you're in your word, do you read it about other people and how they can apply it? Are you reading it about yourself? What do I need to do here? Making friends with sinners starts with your connection with yourself. You know there are 55 commands in the New Testament that say one another? 59. That's a lot. You could read one a week and still have some left over at the end of the year. Very rarely do you see someone in the Bible in the New Testament, going off by themselves 
in fulfilling Jesus' mission. And usually when it is, it's not for very long. Jesus knew it wasn't good for us to be alone. In fact, God didn't create us to be alone. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is out of Galatians 6. It commands us to carry each other's burdens, to walk arm in arm with each other, because there are going to be times where things are hard. When you're reaching out to someone, if you're the lone ranger, there's a lot of temptation there. Because it's a whole lot easier to pull someone down than it is to drag someone up. And so we go together. I had a buddy years ago. He was a good friend. He was in my wedding. And this guy wanted to start working in a tattoo parlor. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I love, I have tattoos. I, if someone wants to get one, okay, go for it. Tattoos are cool, right? That's your body. But I knew this guy's struggles. And I knew a lot of the things that are typically associated with people at tattoo parlors, unfortunately, right? And I talked to this guy and I said, hey man, like I'm afraid that when you get into this, you're gonna be surrounded with a bunch of people, to my knowledge, that don't love Jesus, who encourage drinking and partying and things like that. Again, I'm not trying to like stereotype too much, but I'm really scared for you. Oh no, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. I was like, man, you're alone there, there's no support. I, I know how it goes. Little by little, this guy started pulling away pulling away, and pulling away. And then I found out, and I, I, this guy, I would ask him, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, every week, multiple times a week, hey, are you drinking again, man? There's something off. What's going on? What's going on? What's going This guy lied to me multiple times a week for six months. He had started, and they, they found, here's how he got busted out. The cops found him, passed out on the side of the road, twice the legal limit, in his car. That's how he got busted out. And so that spiritual connectedness and being together with other disciples, it helps you, right? Because the Bible says they'll know us by our love for one another. So if me and my buddy here, even though we give each other a ton of crap, right? If we go out and they see us teasing each other in love, they'll be like, oh, there's something different about that. Because we're together. But if I'm a lone ranger and by myself, it doesn't give anyone else an opportunity to see the love that the believers have for each other. So we must be spiritually connected to each other, equipping one another, getting each other ready for the fight, guarding each other from temptation. There's safety in numbers, but also there's power in numbers. God created us to be that way. The lost, the sinners that we're trying to make friends with will know us by our love. So first, I must be spiritually connected. Tip number two, I must be spirit-led. I must be spirit-led. Now, in this verse, in Mark 6, um, the Holy Spirit hadn't departed on people the way that it does now at your baptism. But they are connected with Jesus, and Jesus was spirit-led. Right? And one of the things I look at in, in uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, it says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control or self-discipline, depending on which translation you read. Did God give you a spirit of fear? Let me repeat that. Did God give you a spirit of fear? He said that he did not give you a spirit of fear. And too many times I hear people say, I'm afraid, I'm insecure, I don't want to be rejected, I don't want this, I don't want that. If God didn't give you the spirit of fear, then who gave it to you? The devil's telling it to you. He's whispering in your ear. But you've accepted it. 
And you've taken it upon yourselves to choose to be fearful, to choose to be insecure, to choose to be scared. That's not what we were created to be. God gave us a, power, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline and self-control. So when we're out on our campuses, the spirit that God gave you isn't to be like, I can't do this. No, they're going to reject me. No, they don't want it. No, I can't do it. God didn't make me like this. No, he gave you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And they get so, so tired of people saying, I can't do it. That is Satan whispering it to you, and that is you accepting defeat before you even step out on campus. You see, when Moses led them to the edge of the promised land, and then Joshua took them in, God says, I'm going to give you everywhere where you step your feet. Because that spirit of power, or the, of, of fear, led them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years they could have been in the promised land, a whole generation of people. And I look at our campus ministries and our teen ministries, and even myself, and we get out and we're like this, and we're like, oh, the giants are too big, and this and that, and I can't do it. And I feel like for the last two years, our campus ministries have been left wandering because we've accepted this spirit of fear. And we haven't embraced the spirit of power and love and self-discipline that God is trying to give to us. You were created to be sons and daughters, princes and princesses in the kingdom, but yet we've settled for much, much less. And when those verses say, if you're not bearing fruit, you will be cut off, this is the path to being cut off. It's accepting that fear and not embracing the spirit of power and love and self-discipline that God has put in your life. So I must be spiritually connected. I must be spirit-led. And number three, tip number three, I must choose to be something worth running to. I must choose to be something worth running to. You see, here's kind of how the, uh, the Mark 6 breaks down. They've been out, they've been doing all this stuff, they get together, and then they're kind of trying to isolate and seclude themselves to pull off. And as they go and leave, right, some people are like, hey, those are those guys. Those are those guys. Those are those guys over there. And those are the ones that are with Jesus and doing all this cool stuff. And so they kind of run over to them and they're like, hey, we're hungry and all this stuff. And Jesus starts teaching them, right? And then he feeds them. And that's where we're at here. And they saw something in Jesus and his people that was worth running to. They saw something worth running to. Mark 6, Many people saw them leaving and recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the surrounding cities and got there ahead of them. There are a lot of things people run to in society, right? We have popularity. We have personality. We have certain gifts. You look at all these celebrities and these things and these athletes and rappers and movie stars and you see all these things and people flock to these people. But when they get there, what are they getting? A satisfaction, right? A, a, a cool feeling. Is there anything eternal in there? Be something worth running to. Not something that in the Bible says that, that the rust will destroy in time. Or that the moss will eat and, and decay. Be something that makes an eternal difference. In the First Timothy, it says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. For if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. So those hearers will run to you. Too many times we have um, 
we live two-faced life. Hey, honey, can you turn that off? I'm s- yeah, whoever. Sorry, I am so ADD right now. I have headphones if you want them. Okay, sorry, I was bugging out. Um, watch your life and doctrine closely. No one wants to follow a hypocrite. We have to be something worth running to. I went, before I was a Christian, I went to Missouri Baptist University. Um, and I ended up at Leninwood. And while I was there, there were some really good people. And I don't think my heart was ready to be like, in this at the time. And I may have missed out on some really great people. But the ones that stood out most to me, on Thursdays, athletes had mandatory chapel. We'd have to go into the auditorium. It was a new, nice, big old auditorium. We'd go in there, and then they would do worship, and they would have some speaker come in, and he was always like this guy that like, always thought he was super cool, like, kind of like Mac, he liked doing magic tricks and stuff like that. And he would come in, and he would give this lesson, and then we would leave, and then on Thursday Thursdays, on Thursday nights, we'd all go out to the bar, and guess who the same people there were the same people that were like in the front row with their hands up. I was the dude in the back, back when like, look at those losers, right? <laughs> those losers were with me at the bar that night. And so I looked at them, and I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus guy. Like, look at those guys. Those are the guys that are hardcore, hands in the air. All right? They weren't anything worth running to. When you look at your lives, are you worth something? Or are you worth running to? When you look at the what you believe and how you live, are you worth running to? Is your ministry as a whole something that people can look at and not necessarily look at those Jesus freaks, but there's something different about those people? The way that they love each other the way that they serve, the way that they care. Are you worth something, are you worth running to? But also, it's not just about what you do in public. What are you doing in private? Are you looking at porn? Girls and guys, you don't have to answer that out loud. But I know it's a problem both ways. Do you cuss? Do you lie? Do you got secret text messages with people? You got a girl or guy on the side, maybe multiple. Are you on a uh, uh, Tinder, swiping, meeting up with random people? Where's your heart at? Both publicly and privately, are you worth some? Are, are you someone worth running to? I can tell you, the people that were following Jesus were, and they changed the world. So I must be spiritually connected. I must be spirit-led. I must choose to be something worth running to. Tip number four. I must choose to be selfless. I must choose to be selfless. This is in Mark 6, 32, 33, and then 35 and 36. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a little while. For there were many, uh, there were many coming and going, and they could not even find time to eat. So they were tired, and they were probably a little hangry. Okay? And then they went by themselves in a boat to a secluded place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them and ran there on foot in all the surrounding cities and got there ahead of them. When the day was nearly gone, his disciples came to him and said, This is an isolated place, and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They were trying to get some alone time. They were trying to eat. They had been on the grind. And you ever felt like that? Finals was like three weeks ago. Did anyone feel like that during finals week? Anyone feel like that this week? 
I know our ministry, like our whole ministry, like in the last two weeks has had COVID. Talk about being tired, right? Talk about being on the grind. Mentally, we're being grinded down right now. Did they send the people away? No. Jesus said, hey, let them come on. Let's, hey, let's feed these people. These are the people that I came for. The sick people, these are the people that need, not the religious, healthy people that don't think they need Jesus. Let's make friends with these people. Let's get them connected to the vine. So instead of sending them away, he pulls them in. Because Jesus knew that putting himself aside and putting his needs and his desires aside is what he came for. And he showed the lost that, but he also showed his followers that. For you, whenever you've had a long day at school, and someone calls you and needs something, put yourself aside. Whether it be a brother or sister or someone who's lost, when you're a little angry, hey, check your attitude and realize that it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. And I've said this for years. Maturity in Christ is the people that can put themselves aside for what the Spirit tells them to do. To not throw little spiritual hissy fits because they're not getting their way and they're not getting it the way they want it. We have to be selfless disciples. It, they knew it wasn't about them, and it's not about you. So, I must be spiritually connected. I must be spirit-led. I must choose to be something worth running to. I must choose to be selfless. Number five, I must choose to see as Christ saw. I must choose to see as Christ saw. Mark 6, 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This is top five favorite verse in the Bible, because I can be so like, harsh when I see things and see people. Is Alyssa in here? Oh, okay. Whatever. We were talking last night. Uh, who's the dude that wrote Hamilton? One person right here. Yeah, no, that guy, all right? I don't know that guy. He might be a great guy. Um, and I'm trying not to be too, just, <laughs> you can judge me on this if you want. There's something about that guy I just don't like. I don't know what it is. He's never done anything or said anything that is like, is overtly offensive to me. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about that guy that I don't like. And I can be like that, not just with that guy, right? But I can be that with a lot of people. Is that how Jesus saw people? He looked upon the crowds and there was just something I don't like about that guy. No. He looked and he saw had compassion on them. He realized that no matter whether he liked them or not, whether they were sinners or not, whether they were annoying or not, he looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. And he knew they needed direction in their life. And we need to see just as Christ saw those people. So when you're on your campuses, when you're at your jobs, when you're with your families, when you're with your friends, don't look at them and be like, I like that person or don't like that person, or that person is athletic or not athletic or gifted or not gifted or whatever you think it is. That person is a sheep without a shepherd and they're lost. And if Jesus saw fit enough to come down from heaven, down to earth, to live a life and to die for that person, we can put ourselves aside and to see that person as someone who needs Jesus. And so what do we do with that person, right? We, we're selfless. We lay down our lives for those people. 
We invest in those people because they're sheep without a shepherd. We need to change the way that we look at people. So many times I think when I see someone, oh, that person wouldn't want it. I look at this person, they came from a great family. They're, they're, they're super athletic. They're on basketball scholarship at the university. Uh, they've got a girlfriend and they're about to graduate and they're about to have a great job. This person wouldn't want it. I think that stuff, when we talk, had our group discussion last night, a lot of my people wrestle with those same thoughts. And yeah, those people might have a basketball scholarship or whatever it is, but if they don't have Jesus, they're sheep without a shepherd. And we need to have compassion, and we need to go the extra mile to invest in those people's lives. Because you can have all the basketball trophies, all the degrees, all the money in the world, and at the end of this age, to hell. And we need to make friends with those people. So I must be spiritually connected. I must be spirit-led. I must choose to be something worth running to. I must choose to be selfless. I must choose to see as Christ saw. And number six, I must choose to serve the hungry. I must choose to serve the hungry. And Mark 6, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And then skipping down later to verse 36, sending the crowds away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he replied, you give them something to eat. They all ate and were satisfied. See, Jesus taught them with truth. He led them to eternity with truth and with his words. And we have to do that. So many times we make friends with people, but we don't speak truth to people. And we may feed them and we may serve them in some kind of way. But if we're not leading them to eternity, what are we doing? And again, some people are going to reject it, but you still have to open that door and you have to try. Faith comes from hearing the word. And how will someone hear the word if nobody says it to them? That's your all's job. That's why you don't get beamed up to heaven. You have to be God's mouthpiece. A Bible's not going to fall the sky, hit them in the head, open up to the right verses, and they're going to get it. You have to speak it to them. And Jesus showed that on the shores and everywhere he went. He spoke truth to people, but at the same time, he also served them with the temporary too. He looked out. He saw needs of people. Social media is terrible, but it's also a great way of, of seeing people's needs. I have a coaching friend whose sister just passed away. I would not have known that had it not been for Facebook. I do not know if this guy will respond. And for those of you who don't know, my sister passed away almost six years ago. So I have some common ground with this guy where I'm going to reach out to him and say, hey, coach so-and-so, dude, I know it sucks that your sister passed away. I was in the same boat. Man, let's sit down and get some coffee. He may not respond. He may say, hey, how's Tuesday at noon sound? I have no idea. But we look out and we try to find needs of people. Everyone has a need. And it's up to us to dig in and find it. We have to be present in people's lives. We have to be aware. We have to be observant. We have to ask and dig in with people. And, you know, and if you don't see it, if we're together and we have more eyes on the situation, Jalen may see it if we're out with someone. Hey, did you notice that person, whenever you said that, got a little bit like that? No, I didn't notice that. Maybe I should follow up on that. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Right? So we must choose to serve the hungry. And finally, number seven, 
I must realize it's less about gifts and all about surrender. It's less about gifts and all about surrender. I'm not trying to downplay gifts, right? Not at all. I believe that God has given each of you an experience and some kind of gift to use to work in the kingdom. He made each one of you special. We talked about that last night in, in, our, in our time together. But so many times we look at someone, I wish I had their gift. If only, if only I had their gift. And we make it all about the gifts. And it's so we, we forget about just surrendering to Jesus that it just doesn't work. Last night, Carrie talked about Abraham. Biblically, what was Abraham's gift? Well, what was listed there? I don't know if it says, like, here's Abraham's gift. I don't know. Could have been leadership. Could have been a whole lot of different things. Obedience. Abraham was obedient. When you look at... Sorry, my phone is ringing. When you look at Moses... Right? Does Moses, by all accounts, look pretty flawed? What did Moses do? He surrendered and he was obedient. He went to Pharaoh even though he could have been killed. Was obedience to the point of facing death. When God needed to build a boat to save the world or to save a family, did he go around and scour the planet for one good boat maker? He wanted someone who was obedient. And in fact, David, in all of his flaws, was signaled as a man after God's own heart. The gifts are there, and they can be used for the kingdom. But if we're not surrendering and we're not obedient, it's not going to work. Because it'll become about your power and what you can do. We have to be surrendered. We have to be obedient. So we do this to make friends with sinners. Right? We're spiritually connected. We're led by the Spirit. We're something worth running to. We're selfless. We see as Christ saw. We come to serve and choose to serve the hungry. And we realize it's less about our gifts and all about surrender. And that thing on gifts, so many times we pawn it off. It's like, I'm not gifted to reach out. I'm too shy. I'm too whatever. It's not about that. It's about surrender. And Carrie said it last night. Um, um, does anyone know my guy Jake Hubbard? Jake's a squirrely dude. Like, I say this is Jake's, but Jake's a squirrely, he's an odd dude. Like, if you met Jake, you'd be like, oh, that dude's not for everybody. But you're wrong. Jake is for everybody. Jake, I can tell you this, he's spiritually connected, like maybe nobody that I've seen in a long time. He's spirit-led, and even when he falls and, and, and fails, he's always like trying to come back to it, kind of like David, right? Coming back to the spirit. Jake tries to live his life as, as a, with as much integrity as he can. That's like one of his, his buzzwords, integrity, right? He's selfless. This dude is always like driving out to get people, having people live with him, like all kinds of stuff. He sees people and he knows that they need a shepherd. Constantly trying to serve, whether it be making dinners for our teens. And he knows, like, Jake's like not like an overly like gifted person. Like, he has gifts. But he knows it's just about surrendering to Jesus. And here's the things that Jake does, right? Jake, we have a guy here at this retreat right now that Jake met in the bathroom at Umzel. 
in the bathroom. Like where you go to the bathroom. <laughs> right? Who here is going to strike up a conversation in the bathroom? But Jake saw an opportunity. He didn't see someone who was just there to relieve themselves. He saw a sheep without a shepherd. All right, and we laugh about that, but where's your bathroom person? Jake's constantly at the gym, meeting people. And like I said, Jake's super squirrely, but he's out there trying to make friends with sinners because he knows that they need a shepherd. And I can tell you this without a shadow of a doubt, and I love Jake, he's like becoming one of my like, better best friends, right? If Jake can do it, you can do it. It's, it's simply about just being obedient to Jesus and knowing why you're out making friends. We don't want friends just to have friends. Anyone can do that. We want friends to help lead them to Jesus, to connect them to the vine. So when you go to your classes, and into your jobs, and into your family, look upon these people as humans, and as daughters and sons of Jesus. But if they don't have Jesus, they need Jesus. So look on them with compassion, be outside yourself, be selfless, Look to serve them and, and feed them both God's word. Look to meet a need, find some common ground with them, and teach them about Jesus. Jesus leaves his disciples, therefore go into all the world, make disciples, teach them to obey, and baptize them, and Jesus will be with you. That's our mission. That's what we need to do. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, Lord, I want to thank you for this retreat again. I want to thank you for guys like Jake, um, God, who um, works to live for you every day, God. I pray that we can follow his example, that we can follow the example of all the, the people in the Bible, God. When we look at Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, and it says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, God, I pray that we can look to our biblical heroes, but also to the people that we can see that are surrendered, who are trying to be connected, who are trying to bear fruit, we can look at their, their successes and their failures, God, that they can teach us, they can encourage us, they can challenge us, they can stretch us, God. I pray that we can have unity in the spirit. God, as we go into this semester, I know things can be hard. I know life can be rough. God, whether it be COVID or families or grades or work or friends or whatever, God, that we can see people as they truly are. Sheep without a shepherd. People who need you above all, God. I pray that in our, in our lives, God, that we can have humility, that we can have surrender, and that we can seek to chase after you and to connect other people with you. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.